Welcome back to The Daily Devotion. My name is Kevin Hill. I'm the pastor of Christ Church Conway, a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America here in Conway, Arkansas. The Daily Devotion is a time for us to be strengthened in our faith through the study of scripture and theology. We're working our way through the book of Galatians, but today is Westminster Wednesday. So we're going to look at the next section of the Westminster Confession of Faith. We've been going through chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession on the decrees of God, or the decree of God, uh, but we're up to paragraph 7, which is a very difficult section. So forewarning, this is a section that many people uh, just simply don't like. This is the doctrine and the ideas that we're going to be talking about, the theology we're going to be talking about from this section, or the reason many people reject anything having to do with Reformed theology. It is difficult. It's not something that people who hold to Reformed theology hold with glee and joy. It's something that we hold because we see it taught in Scripture. We recognize the difficulty of it. So with that kind of warning that, hey, some hard theology is coming your way, let me pray for us, and then I'll read Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 3, paragraph 7. Father, we thank you that you are who you are. We thank you that you are the sovereign. We recognize that you are the sovereign and that that has certain implications that are very difficult. As we look at these doctrines that are laid out, I ask that you would guide us by your spirit, that we may accept what you reveal about yourself in your word that is summarized here in this difficult paragraph. We ask this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. So in the decrees of the, the God's eternal decree, this chapter that we've been looking at, we've been talking over the last few sections about the reality of election and the reality of predestination and all of these ideas. And we've been talking about this theology in relation to the elect, those whom God has predestined and foreknown and called and all of those things, those for whom he has decreed salvation. Now, there's, an other, there's another side to that coin, and this is what we get to in paragraph 7 of the third chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm going to read this and recognize, again, as I've already given a warning, that this is a difficult bit of theology, but it's important for us to process it and understand what's going on. This is what it says. The rest of mankind... God was pleased according to the unsearchable counsel of his own will, whereby he extends or withholds mercy as he pleases for the glory of his sovereign power over his creatures to pass by and to ordain them to dishonor and wrath for their sin to the praise of his glorious justice. So there it is. There's the other side of the predestination coin that that people find very, very difficult. And we find this doctrine difficult precisely because it is difficult. Some people refer to this as the idea of double predestination. Some people think that this makes God some kind of monster, that he would indeed ordain some to dishonor and wrath for their sin and ordain others to glory and grace. But here's why we hold this. We hold this because this is actually taught fairly clearly in Scripture. Now, we find that these doctrines are taught in Scripture throughout, but, but they're perhaps most clearly taught in Romans chapter 9. 
where Paul is dealing with the reality of God's sovereignty. And so we must understand that when we look at these doctrines, we see, as we saw with the doctrine of election, and, and we see here that this decree is according to God's will. It's, it's his desire. It's his plan for how the world is going to go. And it's for his glory. And so th there, there's a reality where we have to simply look at this and say, okay, if we're going to call ourselves Christians, if we're going to live by the book, so to speak, th then we don't get to pick and choose the doctrines that we accept. We don't get to come to Scripture with, with our philosophies and our ideas of freedom and, and, and our ideas of, of all of this stuff about you know, the dignity of man and choice and, and then read that into Scripture. Rather, Scripture interprets us and, and teaches us about ourselves and how God ordains the world. So I'm going to read a lengthy section here from Romans chapter 9 because what's being taught here is clear enough. The question is, do we actually see this taught in Scripture? So Romans 9 says this. Paul writes, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off for, from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. This is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then... He has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? 
Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people, and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So there's the issue. What the confession of faith here in chapter 3, paragraph 7 lays out, it lays out because it is taught in Scripture. This isn't a pre-commitment to fatalism as a philosophical viewpoint. This isn't a pre-commitment to John Calvin's predestination. This isn't a pre-commitment to anything but Scripture. And it is a difficult teaching, but it's a thoroughly biblical teaching. Paul lays it out beautifully in Romans chapter 9. But if you notice... He lays it out by repeatedly quoting passages from the Old Testament that also lay out this doctrine. So, so the confession of faith, th this isn't just a pre-commitment to Paul. This is how God is presented as absolutely sovereign, having mercy on whom he wills and hardening whom he wills. This is why when we find that he has worked faith in us, we rejoice and give thanks and don't grow prideful because the Bible is very, very clear that his working faith in us was not because he saw something good in us that he just had to have. It was because in his sovereignty, he chose to love us, and he certainly didn't have to. So this other side of the coin again reminds us that we weren't special and therefore God chose us. God chose us merely because he desired to have us for reasons that are unsearchable on both sides of this coin. And so our response is to simply give thanks our response isn't to discern who is and isn't, kind of on which side of, of the predestination doctrine you fall. Our discern is to announce that God is gracious to sinners. It wasn't that he made some sinners and others righteous. It was that out of a sinful lot, he chose some and not others. See, this side of the coin is difficult, but it again reminds us that we are nothing but recipients of the grace of a merciful God. And for that, we give thanks that in his grace,
He sent Christ that we might have life. Amen.